You are listening to Pushing Beyond the Obvious, where we help entrepreneurs succeed. Hi, Rohit. Thanks for taking time and talking to us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so for the benefit of people who are listening to us, uh, can I ask you to introduce yourself and the body of work that you have done so far? Yeah. Um, so I spend most of my time these days uh, curating ideas and trying to identify trends that are going to change business in the next year. So I call myself a trend curator, uh, and what that means for me is I collect a lot of ideas. I spend a lot of time traveling around the world, speaking to people in many different industries, and I try and put the patterns together and describe a direction that I think the world is headed. Interesting. So that's how I think I got to know about your work as well. I read your book, um, Non-Obvious 2016 edition, to, uh, 15 edition as well. Um, and uh, I also happened to read your uh, current uh, book, which is um, uh, just out, if I'm not wrong, just got released like what, three weeks back, two weeks back? Yeah, even uh, I think it's a little bit less than two weeks. Yeah, so it's uh, very, very new. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So um, uh, I, uh, I'm really fascinated by the way uh, you go about collecting trends. One of the things that we all know uh, is critical if you're running a business is uh, to be able to identify some of these trends and then ride these trends in order to really scale fast. So you have this unique method called Haystack method of curating trends. Can you just explain what, what do you mean by uh, and what this method methodology looks like? Yeah, it's when people think about trends, the most frequent perception they have is that uh, there, are, there are trend spotters out there. And a trend spotter is someone who just kind of looks at uh, ideas and says, oh, there's a trend. And I don't actually think that's how trends work. I don't think that's the best way to find trends. I think instead uh, you have to spend time gathering ideas and then find the connections between those ideas. So the reason I called it the haystack method is because we've all heard this term, finding a needle in a haystack. And I think that actually a better way of thinking about trends is that you spend all of your time gathering all this hay, and then you stick the needle in the middle of it. So you kind of do it the opposite way. You're not looking for the needle. You have the needle, and you're looking for the hay. And that's what really inspired it. And it was kind of based on me just gathering ideas from many different places and then trying to figure out a way of making sense of those ideas. Interesting. And uh, does that mean that uh, you spend quite a lot of time in terms of going through uh, uh, various kinds of activities that uh, are happening around you? I do, yeah. I mean, I'm lucky that I go to probably 40 different events a year. So I spend a lot of time uh, on the stage speaking, but then also listening to other speakers. So I get a chance to interview other people, listen to other speakers. Uh, the other thing I do is I read uh, quite a few books um, every year, so I'm getting a lot of books, and I uh, I don't necessarily read them all cover to cover, uh, but I, I read the main ideas of many of these different books, and then I'm always collecting ideas from places like uh, 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 places like online and also magazines, and so I have a lot of sources of input uh, when it comes to ca gathering these ideas, and so my process is very visual. You know, I've got a couple of pictures of it in the latest uh, edition of the book, and you can kind of see what all of these things, these magazine articles I've ripped out uh, and printouts of, uh, of articles and all of these different things, what they look like when I spread them all out and start to figure out where the connections are. So for me, it's an annual process. I start 
collecting every January, and then I start analyzing probably around June, and then I start writing around July, August, and then the book comes out in December. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing this for what, five years now, five, six years, sixth year or fifth year this is? This is the seventh year, yeah. So it's uh, it's been this quite, seventh year. quite, yeah. Interesting. So this year's uh, uh, trends that you have uh, mentioned in your uh, book uh, uh, are typically around four or five different domains, right? So if you have to look at all those trends, let's say, for example, uh, technology and design behavior trends. So you you talk about invisible technology, right? So how did you come about identifying this as a trend? Maybe, you know, some uh, some peek into your thought process around that trend itself. Yeah, so invisible technology was around the idea that I was seeing more and more examples of how technology was doing things to make us safer or make our world better in the background in ways that we barely noticed. So I found this one story, for example, uh, of a fascinating technology that had been developed to allow airplane wings to heal themselves. So, you know, this is this was really scary to me because I travel all the time, but apparently there's all of these, like, <laughs> tiny microscopic cracks in airplane wings that happen because of the stress of flying. And, you know, they're not big enough to cause any real issues, but over time they start to, um, they start to make a difference. And this material is kind of like a powder-like substance, and when it detects a crack, uh, that powder kind of breaks and a liquid gets released and it hardens and it fixes the wing by itself. And so I started looking into kind of examples of technology like that, technology that's being used in ways that we don't even understand. Like there's a, they call it, um, I think there was a TED Talk about something called thirsty concrete. Uh, and it was the idea that we could make roads and asphalt and it would kind of drink the water and then the water would actually, uh, it would kind of help to avoid too much runoff or flooding or things like that because the actual road would, drink the water. And so like these were all these kind of really interesting uses of technology that to me meant there's all of this layer of stuff that we see. I mean, obviously our phone is in front of our face, so we see that technology, but then there's this other technology that we don't really pay that much attention to, but it's all around us. Interesting. In fact, even uh, uh, the technology that uh, Facebook or Amazon uses, is invisible to us uh, unless uh, someone actually wants to understand how they work. Yeah, it's very true. And uh, sometimes that's dangerous, right? Because they don't, we don't know exactly what <laughs> they're doing with all of our information. I know. So you, you've listed down 15 trends, right? So out of these 15 um, trends that uh, uh, you have listed down for this year's edition, what do you think is uh, the most surprising for you? The most surprising, um, I think, you know, one that I uh, am continually surprised by, and actually one of the things I do is with the 15 trends, I have 10 all new ones, and then I actually find five from my previous reports that have just taken off in a way that uh, has been significant, and I bring them back. So the previous five uh, are always from a trend report that's at least two years old, so I don't do things from, like, the exact previous year, um, because that's always going to still be current. And one of the ones that was really surprising for me was a trend I called Precious Print. And it was all about how mm -hmm. 
in this digital world, the things that we do end up printing are much more significant and important to us, and they're precious in a different way. And if you think about, like, the photos that we all take and rarely get printed, if we ever do get a photo printed, it tends to be the one that really matters to us. And so that's just one of the pieces of this idea that when we hold something in our hands and when we actually have a physical version of it, it feels more precious for us because everything is so digital. Interesting. So for me, I think uh, the consumer trends that you've uh, mentioned in this report, um, uh, when I first read your book, it was striking uh, to me because um, it just so happened that uh, I had uh, um, watched two plays both uh, the plays had very strong feminine characters and uh, both the plays kind of questioned the validity or the importance of um, marriage as an institution itself and then um, i myself also used teespring to print uh, or to design t-shirts and my son uses an indian version of what teespring looks like and he designs t-shirts and mugs uh, so that's the side quirks that you talk about and like in the last three months I have been completely off social media uh, to take a detox. And that's what you talk about, desperate detox. So for me, all these three were so real and so uh, so personal to me that when I found those three on your trend report, I was like, okay, I thought that this is just me, but looks like this is a phenomenon happening around the globe. Yeah, it's interesting how many people have that type of experience because some of these things, uh, when you see them, written down and packaged up in, in the sort of way that I do with where you have a title for it and you have kind of six or seven different stories. And if you take the time to go through the resources and links, you'll see that each one of these trends has you know at least 20 different sources and stories behind it. So there's quite a lot of different things that are out there to describe a particular trend. And when people read that, and then they personally associate with the trend, they think, wow, you know, I had no idea there were so many versions of this trend in so many different industries because every one of my trends also I spend a lot of time looking for examples in uh, different regions of the world in different industries so none of my trends are just uh, what's happening in retail in America like that's not really the way that I that I do these trends I do them across industries and across countries Interesting. Even the trends that you have uh, uh, listed under economics and entrepreneurship, um, so the outrageous outsiders, is that something that strikes really hard? I mean, with Trump getting elected in the US, Narendra Modi getting elected in India, uh, there seems to be these outsiders who are coming and uh, taking power in terms of what they are trying to do, whether it is in politics or whether it is in business as well, you find more and more outsiders coming in and dominating uh, the industries that they come in. So that's also something interesting. So what what probably was the most initial uh, thought or story that led you to follow this and come up with this trend? Uh, you know, there was a, a funny thing that happens every November, and it's hard to miss. Um, and this will be kind of a, a foreign one for India because it's <laughs> um, it's not. It would be much easier to miss in India, but over. In the U.S. and in Europe and in many other places, in November, all of these men uh, who didn't have any facial hair started growing mustaches. And it was all uh, part yes. of a program, and they called it Movember, so with an M November. for mustache. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all uh, to benefit 
parody, and so all these men who didn't have mustaches would grow mustaches, and, you know, it's hard to, someone who you know who usually doesn't have a mustache, and then all of a sudden they have one, like, you can't not say anything. You can't uh, ignore that. <laughs> it's just so visible, right? <laughs> Um, and so this guy who created this campaign was an outsider to charity, an outsider to any of these things, but he came up with this concept and he thought it was going to be great and he launched it and, you know, 10 years later, he launched it in Australia and 10 years later, it's this huge movement of people and millions of people do this. And so, you know, to I'm me, that combined with what I was seeing in politics with, if you look at like the elections in the Philippines or India, like you mentioned, or Trump getting elected. I mean, these were all people who were not politicians, really winning because they were not politicians in the traditional sense. Yeah. So it's interesting because uh, last year I participated in Movember as well. And this year, uh, a lot of my friends in India also participated in that uh, uh, in that movement. It's it's uh, it's interesting and funny to find that you know uh, something started uh, way back uh, is kind of gaining momentum and becoming more and more stronger as time goes by. Yeah, that's so interesting. Let's right? let's just come. Um, so many places but, in India where go on. you know everybody has a mustache, so <laughs> it's uh, hardly <laughs> noticeable. Yeah, I know, and, and I mean, uh, still there are people who who generally don't have mustaches. Uh, they start growing up, and when you ask them, okay, they say, okay, Movember, and people like now start to understand and recognize what Movember is all about. Same way, uh, there is this book writing Nano Remo, which happens, and again, that's something which has gained a lot of popularity uh, in India as well, where people actually sit down and complete a book uh, in a month by uh, writing. Uh, with people, with other people who want to uh, write as well. So that's another movement which has grown, which has gone, grown significantly in India over the past few few years. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So let's come back to a question that I always wanted to ask you was that you know you've been doing this for what six years now, and over the last six years, what have you learned in terms of you know what trend you expect to really play out? And what are the trends that seem to be important for a certain period of time, but then die die down? And you are an entrepreneur yourself as well. So how have you used or benefited by being able to curate these trends and uh, benefit out of this from your business perspective? Yeah, so the, the first part of that question, um, in terms of how do I... I think it's, it's sort of around, like, you know, how accurate are these? I mean, if I've been doing it for this many years... I should have some sort of a track record. And I think that anybody who does trend prediction, a lot of times what happens is you, you put something out there and then you kind of move on and you move on to the next thing and you sort of hope everybody forgets the last thing because, <laughs> it, because it's old. Um, and I don't, my process isn't, isn't actually like that. So I, uh, as part of the new book every year, I also go back and rate all of my previous trend predictions based on whether they came true or whether they didn't. And so I have a very transparent process of saying, here's what I got right, here's what I got not so right. And the patterns that I found, to your question, of like, you know, what tends to be right and what tends to not be right, is usually the trends that don't play out as widely are the ones that are super, super niche or get too specific. Um, and so what ends up happening is they go in a slightly different direction and that thinking behind them wasn't elevated enough. And so if I look at the difference between what I 
used to do, you know, all the way back in 2011 to think about trends and write about them versus how I think about and write about trends now, the biggest difference is that every trend that I'm writing about now is a much more idea. It's a bigger idea. Um, and I think that makes it a better, uh, better trend as a result of that. And um, what was the second part of the question? I forgot. <laughs> so the second part of the question is you yourself are an entrepreneur as well. So yes. how do you use this these trends to actually support your entrepreneurship or, or your business? Yeah, so there's, there's two ways for me. I mean, the first way is pretty direct. Um, people hire me to come and do a keynote at their conference to talk about the trends, or they hire me to come and do a workshop for their corporate group around the trends. So that's a kind of direct application of the trends and the methodology, which is, you know, teach us how to do this. The other way, though, is I look at the trends as ways of describing human behavior and the way that business is going. And for me, what that means is, you know, if I spot a trend, if I, you know, am talking about a trend, like, for example, a couple of years ago, I was talking about subscription commerce and how that was such a big thing. And so at that point, started evaluating in my business, look, should I create a sort of subscription model for some of my content, um, have that be a component of my business? And um, so what I'm doing when I trends like this, trends that have a lot to do with the nature of business, is I actually take that trend and I go back to, you know, one of my businesses, because I have a few different ones, and say, how can I use this trend to make this business grow faster or be better, um, which is what I kind of teach other people to do as well. So I try and do the same thing for myself, for my own business. Interesting. So why call your trends as non-obvious? I think to separate them from what most people usually read, which is totally obvious stuff. Um, we're surrounded by obvious stuff. I mean, especially at the end of the year, anytime you read like in Fortune magazine or any of these places you see these articles and they talk about so-called trends but actually it's just like statements of things that exist you know so like two years ago the the trend was snapchat which is not a trend that's just like a platform that exists uh how is that a trend so i just got frustrated when i first started writing this report i was just frustrated with all this stuff i was reading out there that added no value that basically just stated something that already existed and said, oh, this is a hot trend, you know, the rise of mobile phones. You know, like, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> um, and so this is my chance to say, that's not what you're going to get with this book. You're going to get something that's thought through, that's not totally obvious, uh, that goes a little bit deeper. Uh, and that's kind of my point of view that I try and share with the world. Like, nobody wants to hear the same old thing. Right. And uh, you're also a marketing strategist as well. So do you think um, uh, these trends can be uh, significantly, uh, uh, can significantly impact how a marketing organization actually goes and uh, uh, positions itself in front of its customers? Do you have any examples where someone or some organization or some brand actually took one of or two of your trends and uh, based their marketing strategy uh, on this trend and went on to see huge success. Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few, in fact. Um, but I I rarely take sole credit for you know for those sorts of things <laughs> because you know what happens right. you know you know as as much as I do like what happens when you're developing a marketing strategy is you're influenced by many different things, and ultimately 
what ends up going out in the world is a is kind of a blend of all of those things. But you know, what I'm really proud of is that the the trends that that I've shared and the way that I've shared them have influenced uh, quite a few different marketing strategies in terms of companies that I've worked with that have said, oh, this is interesting and it either fits into something that we already believe and that we're already doing, or it'll you know cause us to think about things in a slightly different way and that'll be really valuable. So you know, some of the brands that I've worked with over the last uh, year, um, I did some work with Under Armour, um, I've done some work with Wipro, uh, I've done some work with uh, a couple of pharmaceutical companies. Um, yeah, there's there's quite a few that that will look at these trends and say, you know, how do we apply them to either our marketing strategy, which is you're right, that's my background, um, but also our product innovation roadmap or how we uh, go to market or some of the things that are more business oriented, which is kind of where I've been spending more of my time recently. So I came from the marketing. Uh, Kind of world and from that background, and I spent many times years in in agencies uh, leading strategy work, and now I get the chance to do that and also some more business oriented uh, things as well, which I really like. So one of the things that has been of rage or or a lot of talk uh, this year, which uh, seems um, um, uh, absent from your list, is around virtual reality. Uh, and augmented reality. So, is that something that you don't see playing out in the uh, coming uh, uh, future, the near future, or is that something that uh, you see uh, will take a lo much longer time horizon to actually come to fruition? So, uh, virtual reality was a fascinating one because I one of my trends in 2016 was what I called virtual empathy. And that was all about how virtual reality was creating more and more situations where we as humans could have more empathy for people or situations that we might not otherwise understand. So, you know, for example, after you do a virtual reality experience of what it's like to be in solitary confinement in prison or what it's like to be a Syrian refugee in a refugee camp, you're going to have more empathy towards people in those situations than you ever would have had otherwise. So for me, that was a 2016 trend. Um, the virtual reality uh, actually is a component of a couple of trends uh, in 2017, but it wasn't really a standalone thing. Um, so, for example, one of my trends in 2017 was what I called preserved past, which was all about how technology is increasingly being used to save what the world looks like today or help us imagine what it looked like in the past. Uh, and augmented reality and virtual reality are huge components of that uh, in terms of how it's happening in many different ways. Or, you know, even invisible technology in some ways, you know, virtual reality or augmented reality helping us to see these things that we might not otherwise see uh, could be a component of that. So for me, it, virtual reality was new enough last year that it kind of warranted its own thing. But I think as it starts to get more mature, it's starting to get baked into many other uh, other trends and not really be its own standalone thing. Interesting. So one of the things that uh, I talk about uh, whenever I uh, I meet entrepreneurs or uh, startup founders is there is the necessity to look beyond their own domains or beyond the topics that they are working on or beyond the technologies that they are working on in order to be able to build mental models 
you know, um, from various industries, from various spheres of life, which they can then use whenever they have, when, whenever they get kind of stuck in their own business. And what I see you doing in terms of the trends that you curate, not just the trends, the book that you write uh, uh, every year, but also the newsletter that you send out. I mean, I've I've been subscribed to your newsletter for almost now six, seven months. And uh, every time you send out a newsletter, it has got some amazing uh, uh, pieces of information, which is so wide in terms of diversity uh, of uh, uh, thought and diversity of industries and diversity of the kind of uh, articles that you curate that it has actually helped me widen my um, how do I call it mental models so do you see that uh, people uh, who actually go through these different industries different kinds of technologies different kinds of consumers and are able to create these mental models to be a little more creative than normal uh, people who are kind of stuck in their own industry with their own people is that something that you have seen happening from yeah, your readers it's uh, it's huge um, in terms of being able to think of things that other people don't think of so i come from a very uh, different background i think than than many people because i I studied marketing, I studied business, but I also studied English literature and poetry and screenwriting, and I've always been a writer. So for me, I have a lot of different interests that cause me to read things that other people might not. But I also challenge myself to actively read things that I'm not supposed to read. So you know what I mean by that is when I'm traveling, I buy magazines that are not targeted towards me. So in the last month or month and a half, I've bought magazines targeted at Hispanic moms, at teen girls, at uh, farmers, modern farmers, at people who have tattoos, at people who buy motorcycles, people who go sailing. Uh, you know, none of those things describes me. I'm not interested in any of those things. Uh, but the reason I buy those magazines is because it gives me a chance to get outside of my own world and into someone else's world, and I can see what the ads are that are targeting those people, and I can see what the language is that's used, and I can see what the articles are, and it teaches me something about the world beyond me. And in a world where we can have algorithms shape everything that we read, and, and we never read anything unless someone who we know has agreed with it and recommended it to us, and Facebook is this huge driver of news, we as individuals have to choose to get outside of that bubble because it's not going to happen through the algorithm. Uh, the algorithm is going to keep you in the bubble. And so the more we want to be insightful and innovative, the more we have to venture out beyond. And so I spend a lot of my time thinking about how to do that and thinking about you know what should I be reading or looking at. And so when I do these emails every week, I put a lot of pressure on myself to find new sources that I haven't used and new stories that I think are really interesting and different for people. Uh, and that's kind of the method behind that, that email. I want people to see the stories that they haven't heard about because anybody could write a story about uh, you know, this big acquisition of that company or how you know, Trump won the election. or like, But who needs another article about those things? Nobody. Right. And I've seen that, uh, as you rightly pointed out, uh, uh, the entire Internet seems to be wanting to 
keep you inside your bubble because you know everything that uh, uh, i get whether it is on my facebook feed whether it is on my um, uh, uh, you know email newsletters whether it is uh, my industry uh, forums that i'm being part of the emails that i get everything seems to be keeping wanting to keep me inside of my comfort zone and getting more and more difficult for you to actually get out of your bubble i think it is also leading uh, to people becoming uh, extremists you know so if people on the left they don't want to uh, come to the middle and the people on the right they don't want to come to the middle so kind of widening the divide amongst people as well and it is also seeking people to kind of help uh, uh, not uh, be able to think uh, really differently at all as entrepreneurs i think it is critical for us uh, to be able to go beyond where what our uh, uh, daily life or day to day life keeps us in and i think what you mentioned in terms of you know reading uh, various uh, articles which are not targeted at you uh, reading books which are not targeted at you uh, reading uh, uh, watching uh, maybe you know videos or documentaries which are not targeted at you goes a long way in helping to create these mental models yeah it's been very so valuable so the, the next yeah sorry you please go on i was just saying it's very valuable for me to do that yeah so as entrepreneurs we would also like to you know um, uh, understand within my industry within the purview of what i am doing oh, how do i curate or identify trends so is there uh, i i know that you have these five habits of trend curators that you talk about so if you could just explain those five uh, characteristics that one needs to build upon in order to uh, be able to curate or in order to be able to identify some of the trends that could potentially have an impact on our businesses yeah the uh, the five habits are um first of all being observant uh, so seeing stories and things that other people don't see because you're paying attention and i think that this is one of those things that when people think oh i have to be a certain type of person to be able to see trends a big part of my methodology and what i believe is anybody can learn how to do this uh, and anybody can learn to be more observant uh so the habits are actually a perfect example of why i think everyone can learn how to do this because anybody can learn these habits and put them into action you just have to choose to do it so so the first one is be observant see what others miss uh the second is be curious uh, ask questions ask why buy the magazines that targeted towards you uh, be curious about the world outside of your bubble uh the third is be fickle and fickle is a, kind of a uh surprising one for many people because being fickle is not usually seen as a good thing but in my context the way i describe it being fickle capturing an idea saving it and moving on and not really focusing too much on making sense of that idea in that moment and sometimes the patterns and things become apparent over time not really at that moment so let the ideas come in time you don't have to uh you know you don't have to make sense of it all right away uh, the fourth one is be thoughtful and being thoughtful means taking time to think Uh, separating yourself from a challenge uh so that you can actually come to a solution separately um and then the last one is being elegant and being elegant is all about simplifying and saying things with just enough words and not too many
interesting and uh, uh, one of the things that i have seen um, uh, in all my interactions with people is that you know it's extremely difficult to be observant uh, and curious because number one we are always so engrossed in our technologies in our mobile phones that uh, we tend to miss everything that is happening around us um, so how do you break that uh, so you personally how do you break that personally how do you ensure that you know you're not stuck on your mobile phone or on your device uh, but are observing what is happening around you uh for me it's um it's doing it often enough for it to be a habit and so you know my habit is not to have my phone out all the time uh always reminding me of all the things that i need to be doing i can put it away and leave it away and i don't uh feel the necessity to check it um i am perfectly fine with letting my phone go to voicemail if i don't recognize who's calling me and i can get back to them later on so for me it's partially about discipline and you know what i t- tell other people is you don't have to jump to that directly there are other smaller things you can do like for example i know um quite a few people actually who have said i waste so much time on my phone that i'm just removing facebook from my phone uh if i want to check facebook i'll go on my computer or my or my tablet or some other device but on my phone facebook's gone and that's a really interesting way of doing it too because if you don't really if you spend too much time there uh on facebook then removing it from your phone might actually help you to focus hmm so the other thing that i have also done uh, is uh, remove whatsapp from my phone as well so probably these two are the biggest uh, uh, draws in terms of you know if you are standing in a queue or if you are waiting for someone at a restaurant if you are uh, if you are on an airplane probably these are the two apps which or maybe twitter uh, if you add to that i think these are the three apps that typically take you to your mobile phone rather than uh, looking around people looking around you and talking to people one of the things i do a lot of travel myself as well you said you do a lot of travel one of the things that i have kind of i kind of miss is the interaction and the spontaneity that comes with uh, talking to strangers who are sitting right next to you uh, i used to love that uh, maybe about till about 3 4 years back but unfortunately now that seems to be completely missing uh, there's no one who is willing to talk even if i start a conversation people typically um, cut short the conversation and get back to their phones which is so frustrating yeah and uh, you know so one of the things that i do um is uh I have uh, removed every notification for everything from my phone except for text messages. So the only thing that I that actually pops up on my phone when I get it immediately is a text message. Otherwise, there's no notifications for anything, there's no pop-ups for anything. Uh, and uh and it's great. Works for me. Right. So uh Rohit, one of the things that I always ask uh, people who are entrepreneurs themselves is that you know there comes a time in every entrepreneur's life where they are uh, they are backed uh, uh, and pushed to a corner with their backs to the walls uh, and uh, questioning whether or not they should continue with the business itself or whether it is time to kind of uh, wind down and move on so have you had a time like that and if yes uh, what did you do in order to come out of that corner I definitely did early on um in life when I did my first entrepreneurial venture and actually that was 
all the way back uh, when I had just graduated from uh, from college, so it was in 1998, um, and uh, it failed because it was not it was ahead of its time, I think. Um, and I don't say that to be egotistical; I say it as like a um, learning <laughs> because I basically in 1998 I wanted to uh, make websites for restaurants, and I couldn't convince a single restaurant that they needed a website. So, you know, obviously they have websites now, <laughs> so I can <laughs> quantifiably say it was ahead of its time. But uh, it wasn't a great business model either. I mean, I was literally going to charge people 250 bucks to make a website. Um, and I was hand-coding the whole thing because it was 1998. Um, and uh, and so that, I just kind of gave up. Well, that's how I that's how I dealt with that one. Um, I said, this isn't a good business. I gave up and I moved to Australia. <laughs> So, you know, that was early on in my career. Uh, but then after that, I kind of became a, a corporate employee for many years. And so I only became an entrepreneur again uh, at, when I turned 38. Um, and so for me, I've been now an entrepreneur officially for three years. And I have three different companies that I started and they're all doing well. So I haven't had a, to you know, I haven't had a major failure with those or have to walk away or have that, that moment um, in terms of the, the failure to walk away from. But I definitely had those moments early on when I started these businesses where the cash flow wasn't there and I was kind of wondering, like, how am I going to sustain this and where's the, the fund going to come from? Um, and uh, so for me, the thing that helped me the most was to think about my the cycles of the businesses that I had as things that could be managed by having enough uh, diversity. So what I mean by that is, as a professional speaker who gets paid to speak, that's a very seasonal thing. Um, nobody's inviting me to speak in kind of from the middle of December to the middle of January. You know, there's a whole month where I'll probably have zero paid speaking gigs because nobody has an event. Then. Um, and so I need other things that like like retainer consulting revenue from books or training courses or, you know, all of these other pieces of the puzzle, I need so that everything remains because otherwise I'm in a very risky position where it's just all about one thing and then it's very seasonal and then it just goes away for a certain amount of time. So I guess it's just being smart enough in terms of identifying the ups and downs in terms of business uh, businesses and then uh, making sure that you benefit when the, when there is an upswing and then you have something else to fall back on which has its upswings when there is a downturn for the other business. So you manage uh, 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 your cash flow in, in such a way that you know at every moment of or every month you have some business which is generating revenue for you uh, irrespective of the other businesses doing however they are doing. Yeah, and it's not, I don't mean to make it sound like it's just about revenue because it's also about time. Uh, you know, like if I'm traveling all the time, speak, when do I have time to write a book? Um, so the other thing I have to work out in my schedule is when are the times when I'm going to be more on the road and when are the times when I'm going to be more at home so I can focus on the writing. Because the way my schedule works out on an annual basis, there's some periods of time where like I'm teaching my class at Georgetown University, so I have to be in town for that versus times when I can travel more frequently. Okay. Okay. So one question that I have, which kind of uh, uh, back, uh, uh, is result, resultant of all the trends that you have curated, uh, is there any belief that you originally held, which was very strong, which 
you actually changed because of what you saw and because of the work that you've done on the trend report? Yeah, um, there's many. <laughs> um, I think uh, one in particular is I used to think that um, social media was way more important than I actually now believe it is. Um, I used to spend a lot of time sitting there trying to convince people to do more on social media, to focus on social media, that everything is, comes from social media, that all these things are driven by social media. And then I started looking more broadly. I started understanding things about this that I never really thought about. I started looking beyond digital and realizing that you know social is one piece, and I still believe in the power of social media, but I am nowhere near as uh, kind of blindly passionate about social media as I used to be. Okay, interesting. So one of the things that all of us, uh, irrespective of whether we are an entrepreneur or whether we are working at a corporate, need to do is to constantly, you know, upskill ourselves, constantly learn, uh, constantly, and and to stay abreast of what whatever is happening in our field. So what do you do in order to stay on top of um, your uh, field? Um, there's two things. One is uh, very um, tactical, which is I write this email and I send it out every Thursday morning. So I know in my schedule, I've got to take enough time to read dozens and dozens of articles and skim hundreds of articles to be able to figure out what my top five or six stories are going to be that week. And so I have a RSS feed um, set up where I have like 100 different sources from all over the world. And so 100 different sources, you can imagine how many articles that is. So I never make it through all of them, of course, um, but I have to give input to be able to skim through. And so that helps me to kind of go wide and think about other stories and, and think about the world outside of just what I'm doing. So that's one thing. The other thing is that I try and get outside of the world of business and still read other things. So I was on a long flight uh, to China last week, and I read a book called Time Travel. Uh, by a guy named James Gleek. And it's just, it's a book about the physics of time travel, which is just a fascinating thing for me, but it has nothing to do with business. It's just, I was just interested in it, uh, and so I read it. So I think doing things like that also, which we sometimes forget because we think, oh, what business book should I read, this one or that one, but we don't think, you know, what, what else should I be thinking about outside of business? Interesting. So for me, um, I think uh, the biggest impact that I've had or I've seen on my life has come from reading uh, philosophy and uh, religion. Um, I just finished uh, uh, reading uh, uh, an English translation of the Tao Te Ching and uh, uh, the Buddhist uh, Enlightenment. These are two books that I just finished reading. And there are so many concepts from those books which uh, I can use in my personal life, uh, whether it is as part of my business or whether it is as as a husband or as a father, that I'm blown away by what what you can learn by going outside of what you would generally read. Yeah, that's great. Nice. <laughs> so then um, comes to, uh, we are kind of heading, um, uh, getting close to the time that we've got. So three things that I always ask all my uh, guests. Uh, number one is, uh, is there a piece of uh, art, a book, a documentary that you uh, you think has affected your life the most in terms of positively affected your life. 
that you would want our uh, readers to check out or listeners to check out? Uh, I would love to think of a movie that that really got me thinking about um, about life. I mean, there's a couple that I think are just so interesting from a business point of view. There was a movie called uh, Life. I think it was called Life, and I don't think anybody even saw it because I think it might have even gone like straight to uh, to television. Um, but it was <laughs> fascinating concept of a reality TV show where you could win a million dollars, but the TV show was called Russian Roulette, and it was actually a game of Russian Roulette, which if you're not familiar with it, is you take a gun and you put it to your head, and the you know it has six chambers for bullets, and only one of those chambers is full, and you kind of pull the trigger, and if you pull the trigger and it's the chamber that doesn't have a bullet, you're safe, and if it does have a bullet, then you're dead. And the idea concept of this show and this documentary slash fictional movie was to make that a reality show and see if people would actually watch it and if they would be okay with it, like some watching someone actually die on TV. And the movie's fascinating because it goes from, oh, you could never do that. That would just be so sensational. Like, you know, who would watch that? That's just wrong and evil and cruel to kind of where it evolves to, which is people are desensitized to it and they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I see parallels of that in our world right now in terms of what people initially think is just so dramatically wrong uh, that it could never happen. And then all of a sudden, it's okay. No big deal. And that I learned a lot just by thinking about that movie and how it parallels media culture today. Interesting. So is this uh, Eddie Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence 1999 movie Life? No, this is uh, Life with. Um, let me see if I can think of. Uh, let me see if I can think of actress, or maybe I can just Google it quickly while we're uh, while we're here. Yeah, no problem. So uh, you said two, right? So one is Life, and what is the other one? Actually, it was called. It might have been called Alive. <laughs> now that I think about it, instead of life. Um, okay. I'll, I'll look it up and then I'll let you know. I, I don't okay. remember the exact name of it. I remember the movie very clearly. Um, which is probably a bad thing for them because <laughs> nobody can recommend <laughs> But it was one of those like made movies that you just like start watching and you're like, wow, I can't believe this, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, so that was one... Um, the, uh, there's another one that's kind of, I think it's like an older Disney movie, but I watched it with my boys. It was called The Hudsucker Proxy. Um, and it was all about uh, a product that takes off and the entrepreneur behind the product and why it takes off and how it's kind of an accident. But then uh, it could turn into something big. and uh, So it's kind of about that. Yeah, so that's also a 94, 1994 movie. I can see it on IMDb. Interesting. Yeah, that one's an old Okay. Definitely. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, the last question that I always ask is the show is called Pushing Beyond the Obvious. So, what do you think is so obvious but people miss? Uh, I think that the obvious thing that I talk a lot about what people should do, and nobody says, "Oh, wow, I've never heard that before," but most people don't do it. Is Pick your head up, like be observant, see the world. Um, 
don't look downwards all the time. And by looking downwards, I mean literally at your phone, but also looking downwards as in thinking just about those tiny things in your industry or the to-do list that you've got to do today or like all of these micro ways of, of thinking because you're limiting yourself. And so the number one piece of advice I give to people is uh, be be observant. You know, pick your head up. Interesting. So where can people reach you, Rohit, and where can people uh, find out more about the book? Uh, so I'm pretty easy to find. Just uh, Google my name and you'll find my website. And uh, you can sign up for this uh, email newsletter that we've been talking about. And you can also... Um, read some of my previous work. There's lots of different downloads there. You can watch some videos. Uh, so all of those things are at my, my personal website. And the book is pretty widely available. So um, uh, online, you should be able to find it pretty easily, hopefully. Uh, and uh, It's called Non-Obvious. Yep, yep, Non-Obvious. Uh, and the new edition is Non-Obvious 2017. So if you look for that, you'll probably see a couple of different editions. But the newest one is Non-Obvious 2017. Super. So thanks a lot, Rohit, for taking time and talking to us today. I will probably uh, uh, link uh, some of the topics that we've spoken about, uh, the movie Hatsakar Proxy, uh, as well uh, as part of the uh, the notes that I will write as that will go along with the podcast episode. So thanks a lot and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pushing Beyond the Obvious. If you like the show and would like to support, please head over to iTunes or wherever you are listening to this show and rate us and write a review. Till next time, have fun.